0: God talks to me all day long. He talks to me all day long, all week long. And really, when it's my turn to minister anywhere, it's really just about what he's been talking to me about. I mean, I don't go before the Lord and go, God, i got to be there on Sunday. You know, the people have got to have this special word. What's it going to be? He just says, listen, why don't you just share what I've been talking with you about? Makes sense, doesn't it? So one of the hardest things, I think, for me is to take what he's been talking to me all week long about and somehow make it coherent because <laughs> he talks to me, like my wife said, in, in pieces and puzzles, you know, and then you've got to somehow bring that all back together so that it has continuity and it makes sense. Sometimes that can be a little bit of a challenge. So if you ever see me here and then over there in the next moment, it's only because all my puzzle pieces just didn't get exactly arranged, but you know what, you'll get the message. Well, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message that I'm calling The Beauty of Reconciliation. Two weeks ago when I stood in this church, I preached a message called Let Go, Let God, and that was a message about being reconciled to God. I used the story of Esau and Jacob, and what a wonderful story that is in the Bible. That's a beautiful picture of reconciliation. Here's a man, Esau, the last words he said to his brother, I will kill you. And then Jacob went one direction, Esau went another, and 20 years later when they came back together, God had done a work in Esau's heart, and uh, suddenly he didn't want to kill his brother. He wanted to bless his brother. It's a wonderful story to go over. Reconciliation has always been the heartbeat of God. It's not a New Testament thing. It's always been about the heartbeat of God. You see examples through narratives uh, all throughout the Bible. You see it in the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15. You see it in Genesis chapter 37 through 50 with Joseph and his brothers. Boy, that's a picture of reconciliation. One of the most beautiful pictures there is. And of course, Joseph is a, just a type of Christ. And you see it also in Hosea chapter 3 where Hosea and Gomer, his wife, kind of a strange couple of names there. I never used to be able to figure out which one was which. Like Gomer, that should be the guy. Hosea, I could see that could be a girl's name, but it's just the other way around, turns out. Anyway, what a beautiful picture of reconciliation. You see it in 2 Corinthians where God reconciles man. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That's reconciliation. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. You also see that same reconciliation between God and man in Romans chapter 5. You know I like Romans, don't you? You know, I was thinking this weird picture. I told you I think in pictures, right? This weird picture came to my mind the other day. If I was on top of the Empire State Building and I dropped my already tattered Bible, accidentally of course, off the top of the Empire State Building, when it hit the ground, I am convinced it would open up to Romans 5. <laughs> I'm just convinced it would. I don't know how many times I just go like this and it just opens to Romans 5. I want to tell you something, that is a liberating book, first of all, and that is a liberating chapter. Uh, I could spend the rest of my life in Romans 5. And if there truly was one page of the Bible, I would rip out and say, if God said, select any page you want, that's the only page you get to look at for the rest of your life, it would be Romans chapter 5, because you see justification in there. You see the picture of righteousness. You see reconciliation. These are all big buzzwords, but oh, how beautiful they are. You see this wonderful picture of grace. You see the love of God poured out in our hearts. What else would you be looking for? you see peace in there. I mean, it is just chock full of good things. And then, of course, you see that picture of reconciliation again with Esau and Jacob. What do all these narratives have in common? What do all these stories have in common? You find people that had a strange relationship with someone, whether it was God or someone else. But thank God for the beauty of reconciliation. His name, by the way, is Jesus. And that is just one of many names we call him. We call him the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's the first and he's the last. He's the Aleph and he's the Tav. He is the Christ. He is the crucified one. The Bible calls him the door. The Bible calls him Emmanuel. He is the great shepherd and the great I am and the great physician. These are all awesome pictures of our Christ. Oh, he is Jesus. Oh, I love that name above them all, but he is Jesus. He's the King of Kings, the Bible says. He's the Lord of Lords. He's called the light of the world. He's called the Lamb of God. He's called the Son of God, the Son of Man, and the Son of David. He's called the Savior of the world. He's called the Messiah. Oh man, he's called the lily of the valley and the bright and morning star. And we sing the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Does that make you happy on the inside that he's got all that stuff cooking on the inside of him? oh my goodness, he's called the true vine, isn't he? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He's all of those things and so many more things. He is the darling behind the beauty of reconciliation. And when I think about Jesus, I think, first of all, that Jesus, I just want to say thank you that you have swallowed up all of my stuff, you know, He swallowed up death and victory. He swallowed up your sin. He swallowed up your shame, your guilt, your condemnation, your judgment. He has swallowed all of that up so that we could walk in liberty. We could walk in freedom. Oh, He makes me happy when I start thinking about Him. He swallowed up all of our condemnation. And I'll tell you what He swallowed up. Like Steve was talking about, He swallowed up our judgment. Well, never stand before God and get judged. Man might judge me. Somebody in my family might judge me, but God will never judge me. He will never judge me. Why, you say? Because He poured out all of His judgment on His Son. He doesn't have any judgment left to pour out on us. He poured it all out on Jesus. Jesus reconciled us to His cross, to His Father, so that we could ride triumphantly and bountifully and wonderfully and victoriously in the kingdom of reconciliation and peace. All right, so I can't tell you how many times growing up, and I still hear it today. In fact, there's someone in the pulpit, even today, that's preaching this message. I know you've heard it. You ready for it? And they use this kind of, well, the Bible says, you know, I mean, they get that Pentecostal preacher voice going. And I've got one locked up in me, too. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, so I'm trying to get that stuff out of me, but it comes out once in a while. (laughs) Well, the Bible says... I used to preach like that. I was like a crazy man at my former church. I mean, I was walking across the states all the time. What well, now, baby? People would say, why are you moving out? I mean, it look like a ping pong match watching me, man. I mean, I'm just moving, 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 moving across that stage, That's what Pentecostal preachers do. And they always, ah, oh, the Bible says, you know, and, and, and here's the, here's the thing they want to say. Jesus is coming back for a church that's without spot and without wrinkle. Have you heard this before? Have you heard this i mean it's in the bible right that is in the bible but they take it out of context that is ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27 mark that in your mind that's where it's at let's back up two scriptures and get the context here the context from ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 is husbands love your wives as christ loved the church so the context is in love let me tell you something men let me talk to you okay it's counterproductive to try to love your wife and tell her she's got spots and wrinkles i'm just telling you, it doesn't work it's counterproductive and can you imagine jesus said oh i just love you so much i died for you i shed my blood by the way mark you've got a lot of spots you need to deal with you've got a lot of wrinkles you need to you got some issues you need to deal with no he's not like that the context is love let me just let you in on this revelation it was through the shedding of jesus's blood on the cross and through reconciliation that we got rid of the spots and the wrinkles that's where they went to friends the blood <laughs> the blood came down over all the spots and all the wrinkles it was never because of any good thing that I have done it was always about the cross it was always about the blood it was always about the beauty of reconciliation so let's locate that scripture again one time so we can get that grill off your back Ephesians 5 27 here's the whole scripture that he might present it What is the it? (laughs) It's the bride. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What Jesus is really saying in this picture is, that's the way I see you. That's the way I already see you. The scripture is the revelation of what he already sees and what he already knows you to be, not what you're going to become one day, not what he wants you to be. It's the way he already sees you. He already sees you without spots and without wrinkles and without blemishes. Thank God. Amen. How is it that he sees us that way? I mean, that's the question. You you mean when, when I think the way I think sometimes and I respond the way I respond sometimes and I do some of the things I do, how is it that you can see me this way? because he is the beauty of reconciliation. This reconciliation is much, much deeper than we know. In fact, what's happened in reconciliation, as I said two weeks ago, what Jesus did is he said, okay, listen, we got two choices here. I can look like you, (laughs) or you can look like me. You say, well, Mark, he did look like us. Oh, he only looked like us in the flesh. He didn't look like us in the spirit when he came. He was different. And so if you're gonna reconcile, reconcile means to make two things look alike. Two things have got to say the same thing for reconciliation. So Jesus said, I can come and look like you, and I'll just do all the stuff you do and think the way you think. No, darling of heaven can't think that way. Or I'll tell you what, I'm going to do something called reconciliation. I'm going to reconcile you so that you look like me. Amen. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? So that when God looks at you, he sees me. Amen. He sees me first, the darling of heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, we find these words, He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace. (laughs) You knew that was coming, didn't you? For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, when we get this revelation of Jesus Christ, when you really get the revelation of Jesus, you're going to get the revelation of his love because they're inseparable. You're going to get the revelation of His grace. You're going to get the revelation of His mercy. You're going to get the revelation of His goodness. You're going to get the revelation of His faithfulness. And above all, you're going to get the revelation of His Father. He come to talk about the Father. You just asked that woman beside the well. (laughs) When he said, a day's coming, woman. (laughs) Well, you no longer were. He said, it's always about the Father. It's about the Father. And so he says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace to be brought to you. Anytime you bring something, you can see there's a gift involved here. He said, I'll tell you what, you're not going to have to earn it. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to bring it to you, okay? I'm going to bring this grace to you, okay? It's going to be brought to you. Oh, man. Verse 15. It says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Jesus did say, he said, said, listen, be holy for I am holy. You know, when we pray for people, I don't know how many times I've done this over the years, laid hand on somebody and said, be healed. I'm not saying go out of here and try to make yourself be healed. I'm just saying be healed. There's a gift for healing. Be healed, be delivered, be saved, be made whole. So when Jesus said, be holy, he's not saying, hey, Steve, would you go out and try to act holy? He's just saying, hey, be holy, be holy, be holy. And we become holy because of what he has done at the cross. I just feel such a strong anointing on what was just said right there. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. We just sang about it on that last song. Lord, you are. We are not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold. Let me tell you something. Underneath the ocean right now, there is so many treasures that are undiscovered. Would you agree? I mean, there's so much silver and gold laying on the bottom. There's more laying in the bottom of the ocean than probably there is on this earth. We keep finding it once in a while. I'm going to tell you what, if you could take all that silver and gold and locate it and bring it all up to the surface, all that silver and all that gold could not remove one single sin from our lives. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? I mean all those treasures that are down there couldn't remove one little lie that you told 10 years ago that's an amazing thing and he's saying right here you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but he said i'm going to tell you what you were redeemed with you were redeemed by the precious blood of christ now watch what he says in the same breath it's got a comma after christ As of a lamb without blemish and without spot now you start to get some hint here are you seeing where I'm going you start to see a little bit wait a minute this is the way Jesus looks he doesn't have any spots he doesn't have any wrinkles he's a spotless lamb of God we say he's the lamb of God therefore we become the beauty of his reconciliation because he is a spotless lamb of God verse 23 he says you being born again not of corruptible seed. Now, who's the seed? The seed is Jesus. Is the seed Jesus? Absolutely. He's the seed. And he said, you are born again, not of corruptible seed. There's nothing that can corrupt Jesus. I mean, all the devils in hell can't corrupt him. They can't even get him to think bad. They can't corrupt him. And it says to you and me, you, me, us, we're all born of an incorruptible seed. Not of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And then he says, by the word of God. Remember when I opened this morning, I held my Bible up and said, my Bible was falling apart, but my life is not. Okay. And really it's because of the word of God. Well, who is the word of God? What is the word of God? It's more than just the pages in your Bible. It's Jesus. It's always about Jesus. He himself in John chapter one, verse one says what? In the beginning was the word and its capital capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When was the beginning? Back there in Genesis. I mean, even back there, and even before that, even before that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. (laughs) Everything you see, the Bible says, everything consists because of Christ. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And light and that life was the light of men oh man he is the Word you being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the Word of God and then it says which lives and abides forever I want you to get those that word in your heart forever <laughs> forever he's not temporal he's forever the Word of God abides forever all his promises are forever you can stand on his promises in Hebrews chapter 7 beginning at verse 23 we find these words now there have been many of priests since death prevented them from continuing in office i find that a little humorous actually (laughs) i mean that really got in the way you died (laughs) there's been many priests since death prevented them from continuing in office but because jesus lives forever oh man because jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood Therefore, he is able to save completely or able to reconcile completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That's what Jesus is doing, right? He's interceding before the Father right now. Oh, man, I tell you what, if you could just listen in for two seconds one time, you'd never think the way you think. If you could just listen in how Jesus is praying and interceding for you and me, it's so much more glorious than you can ever imagine. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, Jesus, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, watch how they're describing Jesus now, the attributes, one who is holy, blameless, pure, could you just say without spot or wrinkle right there, would that fit? It sure would. Set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself, for the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. That's what the law will do give you men in all their weakness. But the oath, what the oath? You know what an oath is? An oath is a promise, an oath is a covenant. It says, but the oath, remember we started in verse 23, but the oath which came after the law, appointed the Son, capital S right here, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Oh, my goodness. Let's look at the context of what he's talking about here. He's talking about covenant here is what he's talking about. I started at verse 23, but let's go back to verse 22 and see what he's talking about. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. You know what the guarantor is? He's the person that takes care of things when you default, when you don't live up to your end of the bargain. It's like a cosigner. If I cosign for somebody in here, I would hope you would make your payment on time. Okay, let's make the payment on time, because if you don't, then I have to. Because I ain't ruining my good name. I'm not ruining my credit. So let's make the payments on time, Okay. I'm not saying I want to co-sign for anybody because you know what I'm getting at, but I'm just saying, I'm using that as an example. I'm just saying, listen, He covers it. He's the guarantor. He's the one that guarantees us before the Father. He's saying, Father, I purchased Him with my blood. He's the guarantor. Would you agree that the Lamb of God lives on the inside of you? And because He is without spot or wrinkle, because we just read that, no spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes then I can have the confidence to say, that's the way I look before him too. Because in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. So are we in this world. I don't have to wait till I get to heaven to be without spots and blemishes. He doesn't see him now. As he is, so am I in this world right now. Boy, that gets the gorilla off your back, doesn't it? See, this is what the message of grace does. It gets that monkey off your back. He sees me even when I mess up as spotless wrinkle-free. It's not just wrinkle-resistant, I'm (laughs) wrinkle-free. Oh man. Colossians chapter 1 verses 20 through 22. I want to give it to you, first of all, from the Living Bible. The Living Bible is not something I go to a lot, but it breaks it down into very plain street language, okay? Here's what it says. It was through what his son did that God cleared a path. In other words, he reconciled us. It was through what his son did that God cleared a path, For everything to come to him, all things in heaven and on earth. For Christ's death on the cross has made peace with God for all by his blood. Now, I highlighted a couple of things in my Bible when I saw that. It was through what his son did. I highlighted those four words. What his son did. Not what I did. It was through what his son did that God reconciled me to him. My part in the reconciliation was just saying, yes, Lord. That was it. I didn't do anything else. I just said, yes, Lord. He called one night and I said, yes, Lord, I got reconciled just like that. And it says that Christ's death on the cross had made peace with His Father for all by His blood, not your blood, not even your sweat, not working for it, and definitely not your tears. You can cry buckets of tears until Jesus comes back and I'll guarantee that won't make you right with Jesus. It's by His blood that we become right with Him. It's by the cross that we become right with Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Isn't this good news? It's liberating news to know that. In verse 21, he goes on to say, This includes you who were once so far away from God. You were his enemies and hated him and were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has brought you back as friends. He has done this through the death on the cross. Not a cross, but the death on the cross of his own human body And now as a result, Christ has brought you into the very presence of God, and you are standing there before Him with nothing left against you. Nothing left that He could ever chide you for. The word chide means to scold. This is powerful. We can stand in the presence of God, there's nothing He can even ground me for. I mean, we used to ground our kids for sometimes the littlest things, you remember that? I mean, they just looked at you wrong. You're grounded. <laughs> you know, I mean, we didn't get in a big habit of doing that, but it just depended on what kind of attitude you were having that day. But God says we can stand in His presence, and He can't even find anything He can ball us out for. What awesome news. Why? Because of the blood. We're talking about the blood. I want to tell you something. Anytime you find the word reconciled, this particular word, you'll find the cross, and you'll find blood nearby. Every time. This particular word only comes up three times in the Bible, in the New Testament. Every time, it's right around the cross, right around the blood. What Jesus' blood has done, He's made us holy. He's made us perfect. He's made us righteous. He has made us spotless. He has made us wrinkle-free. He has taken away every single blemish because of His blood, that God cannot be mad at us. Now, the King James Version of that verse 22. In the body of His flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable, That word unblameable right there in the Greek, it actually means no spots, no wrinkles. I couldn't believe it when I opened it up and I said, i got to see what this word unblameable means. Are you kidding me? Without spot and without wrinkle? Oh, man, I got so excited in my study. I just started moving around and dancing around. Oh, man, it's true, Lord. You do see us that way. It says, to present you holy and unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. There's nothing for Him to even reprove you for in His sight. Awesome news. The Greek word for reconciliation is the word apokatalosso. It literally means, when you look it up in the Greek concordance, fully reconciled. It doesn't just say reconcile. It uses the word in front of it, fully, fully reconciled. The truth of the matter is, when God reconciled us, He reconciled the whole man. He reconciled our past sins, he reconciled our present sins, and He reconciled our future sins. You see, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for His name's sake. You just want to embrace that scripture for a little while? I'd like to sew that on a pillow and just hug that all night long. Oh, man. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for His name's sake. So, what are we told as Christians in that scripture? We're told that our sins are forgiven, right? The problem with our English word forgiven is it doesn't give us the full sense of the Greek word that's translated as forgiven. The Greek word for forgiven is a perfect participle. Now, let me tell you what a perfect participle is. It refers to something that's taken place in the past but is carried over into your present stage. So, when Jesus reconciled us by his cross and he forgave us of our sins. He just didn't forgive everything we had done up to that point in time. He did do that. But he said, listen, I'm going to do something. I'm going to release something that's going to forgive them in their present and all in their future. Only Jesus could do that. You see us, we're on a sin by sin basis with other people, you know, sometimes, you know what I'm saying? But Jesus isn't that way. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 13-16, through 16, we see this word reconcile come up again. Let's watch and see if we can hear anything about the cross. Remember I told you the cross and the blood are going to be nearby when you find the word reconciled, especially this word apokalosso. Uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. I told you, you'd find it, wouldn't you? You find that word reconcile, you'll find the cross, you'll find the blood, by which He put to death their hostility. Friends, Jesus and the cross and the blood is what's behind the beauty of reconciliation. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, we find these words. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Reconciled by His blood I'm reconciled by His cross. I didn't have anything to do with being reconciled. I don't have anything to do with continuing to stay reconciled. I've been reconciled past, present, and future. All the scriptures that I love so much, Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Even when we're in a hard place, hope will never disappoint you. Because, why? Because God, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. Verse 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You know what the ungodly is? It's anything that's unlike God. It's anything that's unlike God would be ungodly. So that's why God had to reconcile. He's like, I can't deal with this all day long, watching you be ungodly, I'm gonna make you look like me. now we're all one family, now there's a cohesiveness, there's a love that can be shed abroad. And the point I made uh, two or three messages ago when it came to this word powerless, it's the Greek word asthenius. asthenius. It's where we get our English word asthma. If you remember, I said something about that. It's where we get our English word asthma. And again, if you've ever seen anybody with asthma and an asthma attack, in fact, I lost one friend back in the 1980s simply because of an asthma attack she had. Had an asthma attack and died just like that. I mean asthma is a, is a serious thing when uh, our son Tyler was born he was in the hospital when he was in the hospital he contracted a respiratory virus called RSV it was going around quite a bit and out of that respiratory virus he developed asthma he was just a baby he's got a- they're telling me my baby's got asthma and I want to tell you something yes I stood in faith I can't tell you every night I had to hold the breathing treatment on him you know it set my clock for another three or four hours and get up and give him another breathing treatment and watching my little boy cough and heck and, and and not being able to get his breath, and i sitting there with the inhaler, just breathing that in his, in his nose for, you know, a half an hour until it dried up. I'm going to tell you something. It's an awful thing. Well, Tyler had it for several years. He's been all healed up in Jesus' name, so we thank God for that. But it's an awful thing to have. But here's the deal. God is saying, when you couldn't get your breath, when you were looking for the breath of life, when you were looking for Christ and you couldn't find Him, I want to tell you something. It was then, it was the right moment of time when I poured out my Spirit into your heart and I took away your excuse to say I'm powerless. Friends, you have got all power inside of you are dangerous. I'm telling you are more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness than what you would ever know. You are. You are. When you get this message of grace, you'll stand firm. You'll stand tall. You won't blink. You'll stand there and you'll you'll just deliver the word of God in every single situation, every circumstance, and watch God work. Awesome. Powerless. This state of being, this powerless state of being, does not only affect man physically, but it affects man morally. We're under a government that cannot reconcile the checkbook for this country. I don't want to get too deep in this thing, but you know what I'm saying, don't you? We're under a a government that can't reconcile in their own hearts. Now, exactly when can we terminate a life? Can we do it at the moment of conception? Can we do it at nine months when they're coming out? They can't seem to reconcile in their heart. Listen, it's wrong. I'm telling you, it's wrong. It's wrong at any stage, at any age. But they can't can't reconcile certain things because in the absence of the revelation, first of all, that you have been reconciled, I'm going to tell you something. The person is morally powerless. I looked online yesterday morning to look and see the fresh numbers of our U.S. national debt. Well, let me tell you what our national debt is. It's $18,154,370,313,000. 186 dollars and 68 cents. That was as of early yesterday morning and it's growing by 1.95 billion dollars per day. Let me see if I can help you get a hold on how much money that is, okay? First of all, let's just say the government would balance their books where they wouldn't go deeper into debt every single day. So they were breaking even. And if I said I will write you a check every day of the year, one million dollars, just come by my house, pick it up, put it right in the U.S. Treasury, Balance that budget. One million dollars. I want to ask you a question, how long do you think it would take to get out of debt? Would it take five years? Would it take ten years? How about a hundred years? How about 340 years? I am not kidding you, when I did the math on a calculator, I would, that can't be right. Listen, I love math, I don't make many mistakes when it comes to math, So, I did, but I did it again and again and again. It would take just shy of 50,000 years. 50,000 years! Now listen, I'll stand with anybody toe-to-toe and say, listen, the earth has been here 6,000 years. You can trace Adam all the way back, the first man that ever walked the earth. He's 6,000 years old. I don't care about all these millions of years of dinosaurs. Forget about it. talk to Ken Ham about that stuff. But I'm telling you, the earth has been here 6,000 years it's 49,738 or something like that years that it would take to pay off the national debt the reason i did this so that we could see the magnitude of an ungodly crisis in our own nation america has a debt she cannot pay a sinner has a debt he cannot pay and so reconciliation is is such a beautiful thing america's only hope is in christ That is her only hope. It's in Christ. That's why we stand at Triumphant Grace Ministries. Oh, we might be in a 20 by 30 room, folks, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to guarantee it. We won't always stay here. And God is going to raise up a voice in this ministry right here to the nations. And we will stand and we will preach the grace of God and the love of God and, and the reconciliation of God and watch it change people's lives. And we will give him all the honor and all the glory. We won't steal that praise from him. America has a debt she cannot pay. But good news is found in Zechariah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, (laughs) the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, and Jerusalem means the city of peace, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? I'm going to tell you, it'd be so easy for God just to reach down and America being just a stick in the fire and just snatch it out of the fire and say, (laughs) it's all over with. Verse 3, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin. See, the filthy clothes, it's the outward picture. Remember the Old Covenant? And they're under the Old Covenant. It's the picture of sin. See, I've taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience, again, now we're talking Old Covenant, right? If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. Remember the Old Covenant, the Old Testament was always pointing ahead to show you what's coming things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, It says the Lord Almighty. You want to see what it says? Here's what it says. And I will remove the sin of the land in a single day. Phenomenal! Something that should take us 50,000 years. I'm going to tell you something. When you get the darling of reconciliation working on your behalf, I'm going to tell you something. He says, I can forgive the sin of the whole land in a single day. That's the power of the blood of Christ. That's the power of the cross of Christ. He can forgive the sin of the land in one day. And friends, he doesn't just get rid of our sins by covering them up. He paid for them in full by his blood on the cross. And he reconciled us back to his father. What manner of love is this anyway? It's the love of Christ. That's the only real love there is. Back to verse 3. He says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. When I started looking in the Bible at some fine garments, my mind already went to where I know they're located in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3. He says, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, Zion is always a picture of the church, to give unto them beauty for ashes. You know, that's what God can do. He can take a country or a kingdom that's in ashes in a heap and say, hey, wait, I can bring beauty out of that if you just let me reconcile you back to me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and watch what he says, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He said, I'm going to put on you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. Garments of praise, garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, the garment of righteousness. Are these awesome pictures? Oh, my goodness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. What romance! What romance between Jesus and his church! How romantic can you get? I mean, he's got the bride all dressed up. He's given her beauty for ashes. He's taken away the sin in one day of the land. How much more beautiful can you feel and be when you get that revelation? You see, these garments, though, are just types and shadows, really, of Jesus. We're in the Old Testament, they were types and shadows of the lovely one, Jesus Himself. Isaiah was under the Old Covenant. We're under the new covenant, and we have better promises. I love that. We've got better promises in this new covenant, and they're found in Galatians 3, beginning at verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was, past tense, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Remember that? Therefore, having been justified by faith, you have peace with God? We're justified by faith since Christ has come. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. Oh, good news. We're no longer under that law. We're no longer under a performance-based religion. We're no longer under that tutor. We're no longer under that taskmaster. And that's all the law was, a taskmaster, a, a, a tutor. So in Christ Jesus You are all children of God through faith. It's what the Word says. I'm just reading what the Word says. He says, you are children of God. You are children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. And here's the part I really love. He said, when you've been baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. We've clothed ourselves with Christ. It's no longer just the garment of praise and the garment of salvation and the garment of righteousness pointing ahead to Jesus. I'd just rather put Jesus on. How about you? I'd just rather put Him on. I still get salvation. I still get praise. I still get righteousness. But it's such a deeper meaning because now it's on the inside, working its way out. It's no longer just something hanging over my shoulders that I can put on and take off at will. It's in me permanently. He'll never leave me or never forsake me. It's no longer a shadow. We have the substance, and His name is Jesus. When I was looking at this last night in my study, the thought that popped in my head, could I really satisfy my thirst with the shadow of an iced tea? And I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. And the second I said that, I had to get up and go make iced tea, because it just made me thirsty. I'm like, you can't satisfy your thirst with the shadow of something. And that's what the Old Covenant and Old Testament was about. It was types and shadows pointing to Jesus. And it said, listen, this is always going to leave you thirsty. You can't satisfy your hunger with the shadow of a T-bone steak. You want the substance of the thing, not the shadow. Oh, man. And because of what Jesus has done, we can no longer get dirty you think you might but you can't you can't get dirty anymore there's no more spots there's no more stains there's no more wrinkles we have been fully reconciled to him through the blood-stained cross you have the true substance living on the inside of you now i have to go back in the back here because i want to show you something on the screen here you guys have heard of dolly the sheep right yeah dolly was back in the 1990s they cloned dolly you remember dolly and then we have Shawn the Sheep. You know, Sean, if you've got any grandchildren, you'll know who Shawn the Sheep is, right? In fact, we just took our nine-year-old to see Shaun the Sheep the other day. And now the latest sheep in the news, is just this past week, his name is Chris. Maybe some of you have seen Chris. Chris, let me set this story up here. Chris was a sheep that got separated from his flock uh, for about five or six years. And I want you to see what a sheep looks like that's been separated from the flock for five or six years and has had no haircut. <laughs> That is a true picture. This is not Photoshop. There was a hiker in Australia that was hiking and he came across this. He said, when I first saw it, he said, I thought a cloud fell from the sky. He said it looked like a a cotton ball on steroids. And so they captured him and gave him a buzz. That is Chris, the sheep. Now, what I felt the Lord say, (laughs) true picture. When they cut the wool off of him, they took off 90 pounds of wool. I forget how many suits they said that would make it would it was like 30 or 40 or 50 suits nice suits and stuff like this this is Chris and so when I was looking at this and I said wow now I got on uh, the internet last night I thought okay I'm going to need to understand this a little deeper God because sheep in the wild don't usually fare for very long right and so I thought Australia do they have wolves you can't find wolves in Australia do they have coyote you can't find coyote but they have something called dingoes Dingoes are dogs, and they are the meanest rascals, man. They're like coyotes, but they're smaller. Stuff like that. They hunt in packs, and I'm telling you, I, so I YouTubed a whole bunch of dingoes, man, and I'm looking at all these dingoes. T- they'll they'll take down full size kangaroos and eat kangaroos. They're carnivores. They love to eat meat. And so I thought, how in the world, how in the world did Chris last for five or six years? Because you could get, you could smell Chris up from a mile away. Those those dingoes, like. And they're like, they would have been right on Chris, man. I'm telling you, there is no way for five or six years that he didn't encounter some dingles. And I got to thinking, man, I just it was humorous thought. Them dingles biting on him, <laughs> biting on him, and coming away with nothing but cotton mouth. I'm like, what in the world? Oh, man. I want to tell you why he lived five or six years in the wild like that. It's because of what he was wearing. It's because of what he was wearing. And we are wearing Christ. The Bible says we have put on Christ the hope of glory. We put on Christ. It's because of what we're wearing that we're protected. It's because of what we're wearing that we're forgiven. It's because of what we're wearing that we have hope in dark places, light places, wherever it may be. Chris was protected by what he was wearing. (laughs) Zechariah chapter 3 verse 9 back to there again. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will grave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of the land in a single day. That verse 9 right there perfectly harmonizes with what we find in um, several places. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17, you find it in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25, and Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 34. They all say the exact same thing. Their sins, and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. When you dovetail those scriptures together, you see the heartbeat of the grace man. He's saying, listen, I don't see it. The enemy can't devour you. I mean, these, these dingles must have been really freaked out by this thing. You know, they're like, what is that? And just gave up. Why does the Father remember our sins no more? Because of the beauty of reconciliation, we have been made to look identical to Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God, but God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word demonstrates is in the King James Version, it says commendeth. As the Greek word sunestao, it literally means introduced. So it reads like this, but God introduced his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God was saying, listen, I introduced my son to you while you were a sinner. My son died for you. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, the cross. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not your life, his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In closing, the story I want to share with you is very personal to me. My mom and dad divorced at a very young age. My dad was a bad alcoholic and very abusive. My mom was single for a few years after that, and she went out and remarried the same kind of guy. Someone that was an alcoholic and very abusive. I always try to spare telling the stories of some of the things he did to our family, because I don't want those images in your head. But let me kind of give you a flavor of just one thing. I do remember when we were at church, my stepdad walking in drunk, and cussing the preacher out while he was preaching. I mean, he had some, some of the most foul language you'd ever heard. You kind of get an image of how much hatred and, and hurt and pain was in his heart? A lot. Over the years, my mom and my stepdad were together and of course, we were, us kids were raised in that house. It finally became pretty unbearable. And in uh, the mid-1980s, my mom just said, I can't live like this anymore. I cannot live with this kind of abuse. And she walked away from the marriage from a man that she absolutely adored. I mean, she loved him. This man, in all fairness, when he was sober, I would have to look high and low to find a kinder man in the world. It's amazing. But when he was drunk, I'd have to look high and low to find a meaner man in the world. He was truly a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So when he wasn't drinking, we, we loved him. When he was drinking, we all ran and hid. The problem is he drank every day. And my mom walked away from that marriage in the mid-1980s. Broke her heart. He remarried, but he married a woman who put the law down right up front and says, listen, it's either me or the bottle. It's not both. And he never drank another drink after that. I saw him a few times over the years, and it was always kind of awkward. You know what I mean? Because he's no longer with your mom. It was just kind of always awkward. And then in the spring of 2009... I got a phone call at home one day, and it was that former stepfather of mine, hadn't talked to him in a long time. He said, do you know who this is? I said, actually, I really don't. And he identified himself. I said, yeah. So he said, well, think we could get together. I'm thinking, what have we got to talk about? But because I had told my sons, you know, all about my life and stuff like that, they were curious to meet him. And so we got together at a Dairy Queen. We sat down and and had a snack together. About a month or so later, Father's Day was approaching, and I heard the Lord say to me, how about getting him a Father's Day card? Oh man, what do you do with that one? You (laughs) wrestle with God. I I can still see myself in Walmart walking up and down that that card aisle going, what? (laughs) Father's Day card? And I'm like, okay, all right, finally I give up. Okay God, where's that stepfather section? And I found it. It's got about three or four cards. There's not many of them. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, no, not a stepfather's card, a Father's Day card. I'm back to wrestling with God again. I'm saying, God, this, this can't be. And I didn't just grab one. I searched for the one that I was going to give, like I would have given it to a father that would have treated me like God treats us. And I found the perfect card. I turned to go walk out of the store and the Lord's like, how about a present too? A present! You gotta be kidding me! A present? Yeah, get him a present. What would I get him? I haven't even talked to him. In all- How about one of those shirts that he used to always wear? The ones with no sleeves, gotta got have a pocket on it. Yeah, I remember those shirts, God. I'm like, Walmart's not gonna have those shirts. Sure enough, it took me about two seconds to find a shirt like that. Alright, God, I get it. Okay, shirt, card, let's go. And I go out to the parking lot, and. Um, Lord said, why don't you fill that card out now for him? Okay. Pen right there. Okay. (laughs) I get it. And I remember this long pause. How do you start this card? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, how about starting it with dear dad? I said, Lord, I never called him dad when we were even at home. How about saying dear dad? And I wrote, Dear Dad. And I began to write in there. I remember some of the things I wrote. I wrote in there, I know we've had some ups and downs throughout life and a few other things. But I specifically remember what the Lord said right at the end. And so I followed what the Lord said, and I wrote in there, All is forgiven. Love your son, Mark. All is forgiven. I took that card and that shirt over to his house and I thought, God, let me just go in there. Let me just give them to him and let him open those up after I'm gone. I don't want this awkwardness here. And I came in there. He was sitting at the dining room table. His wife was in the other room. And I gave them to him. Sure enough, he's opening that card. He looks at the card. He reads it. He reads the card. And then he reads what I wrote. He never said a word. He motioned to his wife in the living room like this. Come here. And she came over and stood behind him, and he handed the card to her. And she looked at it, and she began to read it, and I was watching her, and tears began to flow. She closed the card, and she said, You do not know how long he has waited to hear those words. You don't even know. You can't imagine. When I left that day, I thought, God, I have no greater feeling in my entire life than what has just happened just now. It was about a year and a half later that he died. And I went to his funeral. And I watched his new family, who'd been his family for several years, come by his still body. I watched them weep. I watched them love one another. And I was standing there. The only other person with me from my family was my uncle, my mother's brother. And I stood there next to my uncle, and I said to him, my family had to pay an amazing price." so that this family here could come to love a man the way they love him. And I heard the Holy Spirit say yesterday evening, my son had to pay an amazing price so that my family could come to know me and love me the way they love me. One of the greatest things I heard the minister say, I can't tell you anything he said other than one thing when he preached that service. He said, I got a call from my stepdad two weeks ago. He said, I was in my study. He said, I answered the phone, and he said, I want you to know that my name is in the book. He said, what? <laughs> he said, my name is in the book. What, what, who is this? Who are you, what are you talking about? And he told him who he was. And he says, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I can't tell you what that did for me at, at that service when I heard that. And I felt the Holy Spirit say sometime after, say, son, you remember the card? You remember the gift? You remember the words? That was all preparation so that he could see, listen, if someone in the natural can forgive him, maybe just someone in heaven can forgive him as well. Friends, that, that is the beauty of reconciliation. Amen. Father, we just bless you and thank you for great grace and, and this message of reconciliation we have been made to look like Jesus. We have been made to look like Him in all of His fullness and all of His glory. It's impossible for you to ever be mad at us. And Father, because of that liberating truth, we can stand everywhere we go with a message of God loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus shed His blood for you. And Father, we just thank you that even now you are drawn those people that have hard hearts, people that think they've crossed the line too far in life, you're telling them that they can be reconciled. In fact, they already have. They just have to receive the forgiveness and walk in the, in the grace that you are extending to them. Father, I bless your people and thank you for this word. I have stood here and I have preached it exactly the way you gave it to me this week. And I leave the results up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.